I'm Chief Cheryl Victorian. This is Waco PD on the beat. Whether it's crime or just getting to know the Waco Police Department, we're here to talk about things that matter most to you. Welcome to Waco PD on the beat. I'm Sierra Shipley, the public information officer for the Waco Police Department. And I have Detective Aaron McCullough here with the Family Violence Unit. Thank you yes. so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we get into, you know, kind of what the Family Violence Unit is, let's talk a little bit about yourself first. Yeah, so, absolutely. So uh, how did you get into policing? How long have you been here at the Waco Police Department? So I started here in May of 2010, um, so 12 and a half years ago. And before that, I was a student at Baylor. I was in the forensic science program and one of the sergeants that works here, that was the sergeant over the crime scene unit at the time, came and spoke to um, one of the clubs that I was in, an organization um, called the Baylor Forensic Society. And he had mentioned at the end of his presentation that they had a job opening. And at the time, I was weighing what to do with my life after college. And so I applied and just said, let's see what happens. And Two weeks after graduation, I started here as a crime scene investigator. Well, that's uh, exciting. Yeah. So I did that for four years. Um, I loved every minute of it. It was such a neat experience, and I really liked getting my feet wet. But towards the end of that four years, I would go on scene, and I would be taking pictures and helping process evidence. And I just felt like I want to do what the officers are doing. I want to <laughs> yeah. go chase down the bad guy and catch him and arrest him and uh, bring some justice to the case. And so I applied to be an officer in 2014 and I went to the academy and then I did about six years on patrol. Um, and that was also such a wonderful experience. Um, I was an FTO for several years of those. So I was able to help train um, new officers on the proper way to do things and the proper way to conduct on-scene investigations. Um, and whenever I was doing all of that, then I started feeling a little more driven towards the family violence cases. Um, I enjoyed working those investigations. I enjoyed getting to follow up and arrest my suspects on those cases. And so whenever there was an opening in the family violence unit in 2020, one of the detectives reached out and said, we appreciate your work. We appreciate how um, you handle those investigations on scene, and we would really like for you to apply for our unit. And so I applied um, with eight other applicants, and I got the number one spot. And nice. so I started there in March of 2020, and that has just been, I mean, this is the best place. I love being wow. in a part of the Family Violence Division. Yeah, yeah. March 2020. That's a big month and year. Yes, <laughs> yes. That was right before the whole world kind of crashed with the, the COVID pandemic. Right, right. Oh my goodness. So you said you were a student at Baylor. So are you from Waco or? No, um, I grew up in a small town called Sonora, Texas. Shout out, go Broncos. <laughs> um, and my dad actually grew up in the Lampasas Copperas Cove area. So he grew up okay. a Baylor fan, and even though he didn't attend Baylor, it was always kind of his dream to have one of his children attend Baylor. And at the time, Baylor had the top, one of the top forensics programs in the country. Wow. Um, it was new and upcoming and developing, and so I decided pretty early on in my life that I wanted to be um, a crime scene investigator or a medical examiner, something in the forensic field. Mm -hmm. And Baylor was close to home and my parents were super thrilled. So um, I sent in one application and got one acceptance letter. <laughs> and it was just kind of a, a good thing. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So, and that's nice too that you've been close to home this whole time as yeah. well. So, and that makes it easy. Yes. So, let's talk about the family violence unit. Um, what I guess first, what just talk a little bit about the unit. What is it made of? How many detectives do you have? And let's start there, and we'll and then we'll go. Yeah, absolutely. So at full capacity, we have room for six detectives. Right now, we're down one. So we have five detectives currently working full-time, and then we are supervised by a um, sworn detective sergeant. Okay, very good. And so what what is family violence? I kind of feel like it's a pretty broad term almost. It is, absolutely. So family violence um, is just an all-encompassing term for any set of crimes that happen to um, people where the suspect and victim are related, either by blood or by marriage, or they live together as roommates. Oh, okay. And so that's interesting. I didn't know the the roommate one kind of fell under the family violence. Yeah. Interesting. And so what is kind of a, a normal day for, for a detective in the family violence unit? So, of course, it, it varies day to day because a lot of us also do um, instructing on the side. We go out and talk to schools and to um, police academies and other training organizations to try and teach some of the um, the nuances of family violence that we have learned through our careers. But for the most part, our day typically involves um, working on our investigations. Um, as detectives, we're all assigned our own caseload. And so we kind of work at our own pace and we do follow-ups with our victims and suspects and witnesses, and we try to determine if there's enough evidence to obtain a warrant. And if there is, then we get warrants. We do preventative paperwork to be completed at the jail, um, like emergency protective orders and conditions of bond to try and um, really make our victim feel more secure after an arrest is made on their case. Yeah. And what does that caseload look like? I know a lot of detectives, we've had um, our, our catalytic converter detective come on and he feels like he gets cases multiple times every day. So what what is that caseload for you guys? So, of course, it varies month to month. Um, I think typically we get somewhere between 300 and 500 cases a year per detective. Um, so wow. we, we stay you pretty kept going busy. There. Oh, I, I thought you were <laughs> going to say three to 500 total. And I was like, that seems really low. But then you said per detective. Yes. Wow. Yes. How, how do you guys manage all those cases? Um, it, it is difficult at times, um, but I will say there is an ebb and flow naturally. So there are some slower months where we can catch up on cases. And then there are some busier months where we might put in for overtime or we might try and um, kind of tag team cases and talk to each other detective to detective and figure out what the best way is to handle those situations. Yeah. Now I, I want to talk about what it was like during COVID, but before we get to that, I want, cause we are in the holiday season. So right. I, I want to know as far as family violence goes, does that Tick up this time of year? Does it slow down? What is it like? Because it's really stressful in the home this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. So naturally, we see an uptick in cases, which makes sense if you think about it, because the holidays is the time whenever family members all come together, um, especially in these colder months. People aren't usually outside, so that means you've got a bunch of family confined into a small indoor space. Tensions are high because of the stress of the holidays. And so we typically see an increase in cases from around Halloween into early November until the end of the year um, for that holiday season. And then we'll see 
cases slow down through the winter and spring months, and then they kick up again in the summer whenever kids are home oh, and, yeah. and families are preparing for vacations and trying to deal with the stress of everyone being under the same roof 24-7. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that you have kind of a different perspective maybe on the family violence unit having that you started right as the pandemic was beginning. So was there any type of, I don't know, like warning that they gave you? Like, hey, this might be a little different. I mean, we all thought the pandemic was going to be two weeks long and, you know, we'd go back to normal, but we didn't. So I feel like your mindset might be a little different than the other detectives. Have you thought that or learned that as you kind of went through the job? Yes, absolutely. So before I started as a detective, I assumed all detectives went on in-person follow-ups so they could not only hear what the person was saying to them, but they could also gauge their body language and their expressions and determine um, how how forthcoming that person was being with their, their statement that they were giving yeah. to detectives. And then whenever I started, um, within a couple of weeks, we went to shutdown where um, detectives were almost discouraged unless it was absolutely necessary to go out on scene. We did a lot of our interviews over the phone. And so um, we had to attend specific training and we looked for specific training about, okay, now how do we translate what we're hearing on the phone where we're only getting their verbal and their paralinguistic clues as to Mm -hmm. how honest they're being and where are they uncomfortable with talking about certain points of their case and translate that into this is why I believe this person is or isn't telling the truth about certain parts of this. Oh my gosh, that (laughs) sounds so hard. Yeah. How, I mean, how difficult was it? And that's really interesting too, because obviously you were an officer on the streets before then. So you kind of already were maybe interviewing people on the scene in person already, but you weren't doing it as a detective necessarily. And so, or doing the detective side of it. And so did you find it that you maybe caught on to it a little easier than the other detectives that got to do all the in-person stuff beforehand? Or were you all kind of struggling all together? I feel like they caught on to a lot of the subtleties a lot quicker, only because whenever I started in this unit, I was the youngest person by far, and I had the least amount of experience. Everyone else had been there for at least 15 to 20 years. So I really started at a fantastic time where I got to learn from four detectives that between them had almost 80 years of experience in family violence investigations. Um, So I think they learned from me um, sort of the the computer aspect of it and Mm -hmm dealing with how do we record stuff on our phone and just learning like the technology (laughs) technology you handled that yes (laughs) and they taught me just about everything they could about how to understand what was being said and what wasn't being said during these investigations okay so so now of course we've kind of transitioned out of all the the phone conversations at least right yes thank goodness yeah, that's nice. And how much easier did you realize on your cases that was to be able to now speak with the victims in person? It, it has been a game changer because I can try and comfort my victim and let them know that I am going to give my all to their case over the phone. But I think being able to see them in person and convey that with my body language and be able to work through any fears that they're having that they might not verbalize has been wonderful. We can more adequately um, determine, or I'm sorry, more accurately determine 
when a victim needs a little more help in the following days through um, the multitude of resources that we have available in our area. And we can point them in that direction to make sure that they feel like they are safe and protected and like the police department is giving them um, everything that they need, all the tools that they need to um, feel like they're going to come out of the other side of this investigation a better person. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, of course that you have to speak with the suspects maybe as well also. Yeah, absolutely. And so how do you, um, well, I guess, do you work with the victim services unit a lot as well? Yes, we do. Um, As a matter of fact, up until um, a few months ago, we actually had a liaison from the Family Abuse Center Um, that operates here in Waco in our office with us. So that was wonderful because we could finish up an interview with a victim, and if we felt that they could benefit from the services of the abuse center, we could take them right across the hall to that advocate's office, and then we can also take them directly downstairs. Um, The victim services unit in our police tower is one floor below us, so it's really nice to be able to say, hey, on our way out, let's stop on this floor, let's talk to victim services, See if there's anything that, as a detective, I'm missing that you might qualify for, um, and they can meet with them before we leave for the day. Yeah, that's wonderful. How interesting, or do the do the victims usually realize that they that we offer or can help offer more help than just reviewing the case, giving interviews, and maybe arresting the suspect? I I don't think that they do. So. The police officers um, are really good about handing out family violence cards to victims. Um, It's a requirement that they meet all the time. Um, But I don't think that it's explained very well to the victims what all victim services can do for them Mm -hmm. um, and what all the advocacy center can do for them. So as a detective, I really enjoy being able to explain that to them and let them know if your fear for leaving is that you won't be financially supported or that you don't have somewhere to live or you don't know legally what the next steps are for you to separate from this person and become your own entity away from them, um, we've got resources that can help with all of that and make them feel a little more at ease about that process. Yeah. How rewarding is it? Because I'm sure that with the, with the talking with the victims, you also give them a lot of closure and peace as the case goes on and, of course, as the suspect is arrested, how nice is it to maybe watch those victims, like, feel that, watch them live that relief and get that weight taken off their shoulders? Yes, it, it is such a reward. I know just every person I've met at this police department still has so much of a servant's heart and wants to serve the victims in our community, and that's no different with our family violence unit. What's unique about our unit is that whenever we're assigned a suspect and victim, At the beginning of our career, we maintain that suspect victim um, throughout our career. So if I have a person that gets assaulted today and then they don't get assaulted or don't report an assault until 10 years later, they still get to speak to me if I'm still here at this department. So I think that having that familiarity and being able to talk to these victims, I can relate to them because I'm not just talking to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'm talking to a woman that I have built a relationship with, and I can tell her, look, I believe that you need to get out of this now because based on my interactions with you and with this person, I think that this is getting more severe. And I I think that that's very helpful to have those relationships with our victims throughout the entirety of our career because we can see what's happening and alert them before it gets too serious. Right. Right. Um, one question I just thought of, but the family violence unit, are most of the detectives women? No, actually okay. right now we only have 
two women and we have three men. Um, okay. Up until last year, we did have three men and three women. But I find that male or female, um, the victims are very receptive to talking with the detectives and um, letting them know what their concerns are. I don't, I don't know that personally I've had any um, female or male victims say, I wish that you were the opposite gender of detective investigating sure. my case. Um, because I think that we maintain that that professionalism and we try to talk to them on a level that they feel like we are relating to them. Yeah, absolutely. And you said earlier that you were kind of drawn to more of like the family violence cases. What what do you think drew you to that? Or what, what, what was so intriguing about those cases? I think that they are intriguing and even still as a detective because um, a lot of times without a, an outside witness, it's a lot of uh, the suspect's story versus the victim's story. Um, we would call it like a he said, she said situation. Mm-hmm. And so I like to be able to look into um, the injuries that were or weren't visible at the time. I like to talk to my victim and suspect to see if there's any inconsistencies in their stories. Um, and I even enjoyed that on the street because I felt like these were cases where we were more likely to make an impact on our victims. And I'm not saying that property crime isn't important because it absolutely is, but I felt like I was best helping my victims if I was removing them from a very personal situation that can turn very volatile um, day to day mm-hmm. and getting helping them get out of that situation was really rewarding for me. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I'm sure you see a lot of cases as well where they go unreported until it gets to a really bad place. And so how often are you talking with these victims and they say, oh yeah, it's been going on for a while, but this is the first time I'm reporting it. Right. It, it happens so often, more often than I think any of us would assume. Um, I believe there was a study done a few years ago where um, they said that it takes on average seven acts of violence before the victim is finally at the place where they feel like they need to leave their abuser. Um, And I feel like we see that often. We'll have a follow-up interview with our victim and they'll say, well, I never reported it because I didn't have any injuries or because it happened outside of town, but there was an incident that happened a few weeks or months ago that that I never reported. And so just talking to those victims and getting them comfortable enough to share the entire history, reported or unreported, helps us build a better picture of what, what kind of violence is going on, what is the cycle, what are some precursors that we can look for to try and help them get out before the next attack happens. Yeah, and... Of course, more often than not, like you said, you see those people that say, oh, well, you know, it's been happening for a while. What would you say to those people who may be experiencing those acts of violence? And when we say that, it could also be more psychological as well, right? Right. Absolutely. I would say if you're unsure, you can always call our department. Our family violence detectives are willing to talk to you. Victim services is willing to talk to you and just... Um, give us what what all's been going on. Tell us about it so that we can help determine, is this something that needs to be reported? If you're uncomfortable reporting, is there some way that our department, um, between our detectives, the victim services division, or the abuse shelter, or any of the other resources available in our community can help you to get out of that situation? Um, I always encourage people to report it, even if you don't believe that it is an offense, 
reporting it or documenting it um, always helps in the future so that we can better determine when these acts happened and, and how they've progressed. Yeah. And I want to talk about, too, and I think, you know, it's, it's talked about more nowadays, but victims, they're not just females when it comes to family Correct. violence, right? Yes. How often do you see, like, a male victim come in? So I recently actually had to look this up because I had a case go to trial where I had a male victim and a, a female aggressor. And personally, my cases, I've had about 30% of my cases have been male victims and female perpetrators, which to me, when I looked up those statistics, it just, it blew me away. I wouldn't have guessed that it was that high of a percentage. Yeah. Um, but we do see it uh, more often than not that finally a male victim does become tired of being abused and victimized by the female, and so they will report it to the police. Um, but I feel like there's still, as a whole society, there's a stigma of reporting as a male victim that a female is abusing you. Um, so I, I just want to encourage anyone who may be listening, female, male, or otherwise, if you feel like you are being abused in your relationship, please document it. Please reach out to the police and report it because I guarantee you, you're not the first person that's reporting this incident and you won't be the last. And I would encourage you to come up so that we can help create a safety plan with you. Yeah. And I wonder too, of course, you know, sometimes like we said, it's hard for those victims to first report it themselves. But what about other people that might be seeing, oh, I think there might be an issue here, but I don't really know how to address it or how do I go and help my friend who might be getting abused or what would someone on the outside do to help? Right. So as a person who is a friend or a family member of a person that you believe is being abused, the best thing that you can do is approach that person in a private environment away from their abuser, of course, and just let them know, I'm here for you. I'm an advocate. I don't mind coming with you to the police department to make a report if you want to do that. I don't mind reaching out on your behalf and calling the police to this location so that you can make a report. I'm willing to uh, write an outcry statement or a witness statement as to what I've seen, but I believe that based on what I have seen in your relationship, you're being abused. And if you want to report it, that's great. I'm here for you. And if not, I, I still want to be here for you if you ever need a safe place or someone to talk to because eventually that person will want to report the abuse. At least that's what that study shows is that eventually there's enough acts of violence that that person says, I'm ready to report this. I'm ready for it to stop. And at that time, how wonderful to have all of these witnesses, friends and family members who not only support you throughout the investigation, but then support you afterward. Right, right. And do you guys work with a lot of man mandatory reporters? Um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, we, I know we get a few through CPS referrals where children will report to their schools that their parents have been involved in um, some sort of assaultive altercation with each other. And occasionally we get them at the hospital where the hospital will call on their behalf. But um, I don't think it happens that often. Oh, that often, yeah. That's probably more like crimes against children that yes. deal with them more yeah, often. Absolutely. That makes sense. And why would you, it seems like a silly question to ask, but why is it so important? Seven acts of violence, that seems like so, that's a big number. You know, one act of violence is too much, right? Yes. But seven is just insane. So why is it so important to report? Why, why should people be more willing to just pick up that phone and ask for help? 
Because I can tell you as an investigator of these types of cases, it's very hard to talk to a victim who says, I have been abused. I have seven separate acts of violence that have happened to me. Seven times I've been assaulted. Can y'all please help me now? And we have to go back and try and prove that each of these seven instances or that some of these seven instances have occurred. And it makes it so much more difficult from a detective standpoint to prove something that's happened weeks, months, years ago. Um, So I would always encourage, even if you don't want to press charges, report it and document it so that it's there for future reference. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as a detective, it's so much easier for me to look back and say, these are the case numbers associated, so I know these happened on this date. I can review the photographs. I can talk to your outcry witnesses rather than me and the victim trying to rebuild this puzzle so many months and years later to prove that this continues to happen. Um, Another thing is whenever they make multiple reports, we are able as detectives to file higher level charges, felony level charges because of the um, increased pattern of violence. Okay. And you said something really interesting was the fact that you can report it, but you don't have to press charges. Correct. So what does that mean? So as a victim, you can make a police report of a family violence incident and you can tell the officers, I do not want to press charges against this person. Um, I don't want them to go to jail for this offense, but I just wanted y'all to be aware that this is what's happening. And on our end, as detectives um, and officers on scene even, are given the power by the state of Texas with family violence investigations that um, they can decide whether or not the state needs to act on behalf of the victim. So then it's not the victim pressing charges. It's not the victim that's putting this person in jail. It's me as the detective on behalf of the state putting this person in jail. So that takes away a lot of the guilt that a victim might feel for um, putting this person in jail. It's not them doing it. It's me. They're merely a, a witness at this point. And oftentimes, at least I can speak to my personal investigations, I try to listen to what my victim wants to do because at the end of the day, I don't want to take more power away from them. They're already feeling like they're in a powerless situation by reporting that someone has overpowered and abused them. So I want to give them the opportunity to tell me whether or not they want to move forward with an investigation. Absolutely. Now, I know you have your family violence card with you. Do you want to talk a little bit about that's the card, like what's on the card? And I have some follow-up information about that card that's kind of exciting. So if you want to go ahead and talk about what's on that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are a person that comes forward to the police and you make a report for a family violence incident here at the Waco Police Department, officers are going to give you what's called a family violence card. Um, It has a lot of good information, and I just wanted to make sure while I was on this podcast I gave some of those numbers just in case you don't feel comfortable coming forward to the police department. You can still call these numbers and get assistance. Um, So the first ones that I wanted to go over were the abuse center. We do have an abuse center here in Waco that services McLennan County and the surrounding counties, but just in case you're, let's say, on vacation or traveling somewhere or you know someone that lives in a different area that wouldn't necessarily meet the needs of the Family Violence Center here in Waco, they do have a national hotline. So the phone number for the Family Abuse Center here in Waco is 254-772-8999, and the national hotline is one 800 283-8401. 
Um, those are very important numbers to remember. Um, the abuse center can help with um, immediate housing concerns. They can help with legal aid. They can help with um, the next steps. Um, and I don't believe that they necessarily need a police report for that portion of it. So if you're one of the people that's saying, I don't really know if I'm comfortable coming forward and making a report yet, I would encourage you to do so. But if you're not, you can always call these numbers and see if you can get services from them until you feel safe enough to make the report. Yeah, absolutely. And now I was going to say, so those cards that are usually hand out on, handed out on scene, um, they are very wordy. I know that you guys can't see them because this is an audio medium, but the card is very wordy, very small print. It's, it's kind of hard to, to it's a little, a little overwhelming for how small it actually is. Yes. But so what's really exciting is we have put all that information on our website. Perfect. Yes. On the City of Waco website, there is a tab there that says Victim Services. And so when you click on that tab, it has all of the information and more that gives you references to different abuse centers, um, even references to food and clothing services, all types of stuff across the board that can help you guys. And so I encourage you to go and onto our website, and that's the City of Waco website under the Victim Services tab. So the cards that are gonna be given out is more of like business card size. It'll have a QR code. They can scan that and it'll take them to that page. Oh, that's fantastic. So that's what we're working on (laughs) right now. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, so we're really excited about that. But that information is up on the website and you know we encourage everyone to go and check out those numbers if if they need it or if you know a family or a friend that needs it. Um, but before we wrap it up here, I always like to ask just this last question because um, I like to hear the different answers. But a misconception or a stereotype about policing that you'd like to clear up or something that you want to just remind the community of as they see you guys walking around? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I feel like one of the common misconceptions that I see more recently especially is that um, officers, it's basically officers versus the public. It's the people versus law enforcement. And I just want everyone to know the team that I work with here at the police department is incredible. I can't think of a single person that doesn't have that servant's heart and that doesn't genuinely want to help people. Um, All of my coworkers I know got into this profession because they truly want to help people and they want to make a difference in their community. So I I encourage you to reach out to officers. If you see us getting coffee and you want to strike up a conversation, absolutely do it because it makes our day just as much as it does yours. If your kids want to see the car, if we're not running call to call, we are more than happy to to let them see the car and explore and and just get familiar with us and get comfortable with us um, because we are truly committed to our community here in Waco. And I want people to know that we do enjoy talking to our community and serving our community. Absolutely. Well, Detective McCullough, thank you so much. Before I stop it, though, anything else that you'd like to say or touch on that we didn't get to? No, ma'am. I think that's everything. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it that you tune in each week to Waco PD on The Beat. We hope you guys have a happy holidays. Have a good one, Waco. Waco PD on The Beat. The heartbeat serving 